from Montauk Point to Niagara Falls, from Albany to Astoria. It's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs and across New York State, and so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from GothamGazette.com. We are moving, hurtling our way to 2019, and, um, you know, we've had this ongoing series, Jarrett, that is focused on previewing the policy and political discussions and issues of 2019 called Agenda 2019. Um, But there's a lot happening at at the end of 2018. The agenda is growing (laughs) by the minute, it It, seems. It's amazing how busy it just seems to be all the time. There's so much going on. Uh, I mean, just today we have a big Amazon oversight hearing at at the city council. We have multiple NYCHA announcements from the mayor. uh, And that doesn't even touch on things happening around Trump and Cohen and all sorts of other things. Exactly. Uh, some lawsuits this week on uh, several land use issues. The city council's dispute with the de Blasio administration over how the two bridges development was handled. A new lawsuit about the Inwood rezoning, which we have talked about in a few months past and uh, is continuing to affect that neighborhood. So big developments there. And and as you said, on the, on, on the Amazon front and the NYCHA front as well. Uh, but one of the topics that we set out to talk about when we were sizing up Agenda 2019 is the topic of health because this series really did come out of the 2018 midterm election where health care was such an important issue cited by voters, I believe in a national poll, the most cited issue as a motivating factor for folks who went in that that historic election, which, among other things, gave Democrats uh, control of the House nationally and uh, the state Senate here uh, in New York. I mean, listen, we know, I mean, sometimes issues are more prevalent than others. There's things like health care that will go from issue three to issue one. It's always around. I mean, thing, you know, there are things that pop up uh, out of nowhere or become bigger concerns. Things maybe more like, you know, national security issues or foreign policy issues, but things like education, health care, housing, taxes. I mean, these are some of the bedrock issues that we're sort of always talking about and are always on the minds of uh, residents, citizens, voters. Um, and so it's no surprise that healthcare is always towards the top of the list. And was as we look ahead, certainly coming out of these elections, there's there's quite a bit you know to look at perhaps on the federal level. Although with Democrats taking the House, it it, it basically looks like you know changes to Obamacare are probably done for a while. Uh, it doesn't seem like you know even mild changes. I mean, you know, uh, President Trump and Republican Congress couldn't really do much even when they had control of both houses. So it doesn't seem like there there'll be too much that happens there. But at the state level, and this is going to be the focus of our show today. There are some really hot issues that now with Democrats controlling the governor's office and both houses of the legislature could be up for debate. And this is something that you looked at in an article that just published today at City Limits, and we're going to focus today's show on. Yeah, we'll be talking mainly about the New York Health Act, which is the proposal for a single payer system. And we'll have a couple of guests to discuss that. Senator Gustavo Rivera of the Bronx, who is the sponsor of that single payer bill in the state Senate. He was just named the chairperson of the health committee in the Senate in the session that will begin in January. And then we'll hear from Bill Hammond from the 
the Empire State Center for Policy. He is a former Daily News editorial board member and uh, a critic of single payer and of the New York Health Act. Uh, but that is just one of the many health issues that are swirling around the state, Ben. Obviously, single payer is a, is a huge deal, a tremendous deal. But in speaking with healthcare advocates over the past couple of weeks, um, they've identified to me, maybe on sort of a lower uh, level of the radar screen, a, a wonkier level, several issues that have them concerned, hopeful, everything from the rollout of the state's uh, social determinants of health program, which is an effort to partner hospitals and community-based organizations around identifying some of those root causes for health problems and health disparities in our in our society, uh, talking about the way indigent care dollars are spent. This is a long standing controversy in the state, how it divvies up the dollars that are supposed to pay for care for people who do not have adequate insurance, uh, to what extent those go to the areas where it's truly needed and deserved. Uh, Talking uh, also about the city's public hospital system, the Health and Hospitals Corporation was in a real financial crisis, fiscal crisis a couple years ago. And since then, uh, there have been steps to try to shore it up. You don't hear about it very much. But obviously, for any hospital in this day and age, as medical care changes, as the old models and use of uh, facilities that have a lot of hospital beds, as that changes, as people deal with the many different impacts of the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, and the way that that affected how hospitals were able to finance their operation, all of that is still roiling through the system. And uh, the New York Health Act is the the biggest, um, I would say, the biggest item on the table, but certainly not alone on the, on the health care policy table. So that's a very important point. This obviously will has been and will be the big ticket item that people are talking about, and it will be a main focus for us today. But we will touch on some other things, and we are touching this week uh, at our respective publications on other things uh, related to health. We are about to be joined by State Senator Gustavo Rivera, the Senate sponsor of the New York Health Act. He is about to become the chair of the Senate Health Committee uh, and has pretty high hopes for passage of the New York Health Act, along with the Assembly sponsor, Dick Gottfried. The Assembly has been passing this bill for a number of years, and it's up to the Senate, now under Democratic control, perhaps, to also pass it, although they're talking about making changes to it. We're going to ask the Senator about that later in the show, as you said, we'll be joined by Bill Hammond and and looking forward to that. Bill is always thoughtful and is a good uh, uh, contrarian here on a number of things that Democrats uh, seem to be wanting to do. Yeah, it is a complex issue and Bill will help us dive into that. But first, let's welcome our initial guest. That is State Senator Gustavo Rivera, Democrat of the Bronx. Senator, welcome to Max and Murphy. It is a pleasure to be here. You almost got my name wrong right there, by the way. Almost. I apologize (laughs) for that. (laughs) No worries. Senator, good good to talk to you. Absolutely, and I almost and I almost didn't call in. The number was a little. Bit yeah, we, up, we we got it figured out. <laughs> the important thing we is got you. the important thing is you're here now. So so just as a quick interview, you know, we we interview so many folks on this show. For listeners who aren't familiar, tell us uh, who you are and what area of the Bronx you represent. Uh, well, uh, I am. Well, my name is Gustavo Rivera, state senator for the 33rd district in the Northwest Bronx. Uh, I have had the honor of representing that district since 2010. Uh, I have been the ranking member for the last six years. Uh, originally from Puerto Rico, born and raised, 
Um, I'm Scorpio. I do not like long walks on the beach. I'm not sure what else you need to know there. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk about favorite colors. We'll just talk about your allows. district a, t- a tiny bit more. I mean, how do you? How would you? Well, serve? District Thirty yeah. Third District. I represent about three hundred eighteen thousand people. I have. Uh, it's mostly Latinos. A lot of. I represent. Even though I'm Puerto Rican, born and raised, I represent more Dominicans than any other state legislator in the country. I have a, uh, a large and growing population of Mexicans uh, as well. Uh, some folks, uh, some Garifuna folks from Central America. Very, very diverse district, very poor district, median income less than $30,000 a year. I have about 70,000 units of rent-stabilized apartments in my district, including the one that I live in. So it's a very uh, working-class district uh, that has a lot of issues with employment and with housing issues, uh, and certainly with access to health care. But it is a a beautiful place uh, that I encourage you folks to visit any time, particularly since Arthur Avenue, which is the original and best Little Italy. Don't let anybody tell you that about the south of Manhattan. Little Italy on Arthur Avenue, some of the best Italian food in the city is also in my district, so your folks are very much invited. And the the Bronx Zoo, also part of my district. Wow, those are Couple pretty good highlights there for enticing know, folks dude. to uh, to head up your way. Uh, you're like your own your own tourism bureau. I actually, I, in all honesty, I actually love hosting people who are from out of town or from out of the country, even driving them around because a lot of folks when they hear the Bronx, uh, they they kind of think of maybe the Bronx is burning. They don't know. They think this this urban hellscape and what have you. And it is an amazing place that that has an amazing level of resilience. Beautiful people. I've been. Living, uh, living in the Bronx is 2000, and I don't envision going anywhere else. Senator, do you know what percentage of the Bronx is parkland? Uh, oh, oh! so you're going to quiz me now. Yes. Uh, I One Bronx into another. I, we didn't warn you about I, this. <laughs> I did not. No, that's perfectly fine. I know that we have more parkland than anybody else because we have both Van Cortland uh, on the one side of the Bronx and um, Van Cortland Park on one side. And, uh, oh, Oh, Pelham, Pelham Bay. Pelham it is, Bay. I'm going to give you a hint. It's 20, 25% of the Bronx. I always, I always say this to people who, who talk down about our, our, our common borough, that 25% of the Bronx is parkland. So. All right, we, go. We're going to get into some meaty stuff, but I will say, you know, I'm, I've lived in three of the five boroughs, uh, but not the Bronx or Staten Island. So I, I might have, have to... Well, I would have, I, we have... We have some great affordable <laughs> apartments for you, my friend. Uh, a lot of rent-stabilized apartments in my district. Uh, so I did, let's, let's, All right. let's caucus later. Later. Let's chat later about it. How about so, that? Senator, okay. you you mentioned you have been you were elected in 2010. So you have been yeah. uh, in in Albany for the the entire IDC period, and now obviously it's a new day. The what? The election, I'm sorry, the what? <laughs> the new election totally changed the landscape. So, what does that feel like and look like to you? What is the hope? What's the reality? Size it up for us before we even get so, into the specifics of the healthcare stuff. Well, I'll tell you. First of all, there's today. So today and yes, yesterday and today we had our first Democratic retreat where. All of my colleagues, there are 39 of us who are going to be a majority in January. Uh, we got together to talk about all the different issues that we're going to be leading on next year. And I got to tell you, it was an amazing feeling to see this, this amazing, amazing diversity and incredibly smart, passionate individuals. We have seven Latinos in the state Senate, which is more than we've ever had, including three Latina women. We have uh, folks in districts that have not been represented by Democrats in, in a decade or more. Uh, and we have incredibly amazing people from all over the state. We have folks that represent rural districts, upstate districts, uh, an incredibly diverse conference, and that, that really care a lot about the 
this uh, a lot about the state and recognizing that our most important goal here is to govern effectively for the state. Uh, there's, there, I know that there's many, uh, there's many folks, and certainly our Republican colleagues have been trying to tell everybody, convince everybody, that this is going to be that if this were ever to happen, that it would be the same debacle that happened back in 2009, and that could not be further from the truth. We're a whole other group, new group of people. Our leader, Andrew Stewart Cousins, is not only an amazing woman, an amazing leader, uh, and, and a history-making one at that, uh, but somebody that, that keeps telling us, remember that we are being watched, remember what our responsibilities are. We have to govern for an entire state. We have to do so responsibly and effectively. And, and seeing everybody just being on that same wavelength, it was, uh, it was an amazingly energetic uh, two days for us up here. So tell us a little bit. I mean, we've we've talked with uh, Senator Stuart Cousins, we've talked with Senator Janaris, and you know we've gotten their takes on this. But from your perspective, I mean, where, what are the big ticket items on the agenda that there seems to be a lot of really solid agreement on? Well, I think you know there's certainly some of the things that we we talk, we're talking about these last couple of days. But there's been a lot of things that have been spoken about. Uh, publicly we have whether it's voting reform i think it's pretty clear many of us think that we need that we are that we are behind the curve in such a supposedly progressive state we are behind the curve as it relates to go, to voting reforms so there's a whole host of them that need to be discussed early voting same day registration etc uh, i know that the reproductive health act which was a bill originally um, uh, originally uh, introduced by by our leader under Stuart cousins when she was first uh, when she was first elected in 2000 and uh, I'm going to say seven, yes, 2007, um, or 2006, I'm sorry, 2006. Uh, we also obviously have housing, uh, our rent stabilization laws are due next year, so we obviously have to talk about them. Uh, there's the, those, are, those are some of the ones that I can mention that, that certainly are important, but there's, there's a whole host of things that we discussed in the last couple of days, which we'll, we're really having a great conversation about shaping what our agenda is going to be. And on come January, uh, we're going to be rolling it out, uh, you know, to really, we're going to talk deeply when we get there, when we actually get to a majority, and we have our new staff, and we have, like, really, we have our, our, our chairmanships, etc. Uh, we're going to start, definitely roll some more stuff out. But those are the ones that I can mention off the top that certainly are on everybody's mind right now. So where does the New York Health Act fit in that? I think it's an important part of the conversation. There is a, a lot of individuals. Uh, there, there. I have heard it mentioned that there are more than a few exit polling exit polls that 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 said that many people were who were voting uh, this year had health care as their number one priority in their in their heads. So, so look. I uh, let me be clear about what it is. Uh, we have a. This bill is about transforming in a fundamental way the way that we deliver care in the state of New York. That is not a simple thing to do. That is not something to do overnight. Uh, we have to be, we have to be judicious about it. Uh, we want to make sure that we have a robust process where we involve stakeholders, because I don't have to tell either of you gentlemen, or many of the folks that are listening right now, uh, that for the last couple of years, it passed in the Assembly and it never moved in the Senate. So there's many folks who had never really engaged in a real way uh, to talk about the details of it. And there's a lot of it that still needs to be worked out. But I am committed, as is my conference, to, to, to listening to all stakeholders and to really making sure that we go deeply into what into details of the bill 
so that we can get it done right. So I think we want to touch on a few of the details of the bill and hear you sort of explain what are the core tenets and then what are also some of the areas that might be up for discussion. But before we do that, this is sort of um, confusing to me. The Assembly passed this bill multiple years in a row. All of the members of the of the outgoing Democratic conference, and I understand there's a bunch of new members, so you sort of have to start talking about everything over again, but all of the members of the Democratic Senate conference signed on as co-sponsors to your version of the bill. So how is there now all of a sudden this fairly significant rethinking process if the Democratic Assembly passed it multiple years in a row, you and your Senate colleagues all signed on to it, and now you get power and and there's this big uh, step, you know, taking a step back? I don't think it's a step back at all. Let's look at, for example, what happened with marriage equality. Marriage equality passed in the Assembly for many years in a row. The the bill that ultimately passed in the Senate as well was not the exact same bill that was passed in the Assembly for many years. And matter of fact, it has since then, a couple of chapter amendments have changed that to actually uh, add aspects to it which were not it were not uh, in the original version. Look, this is a complicated thing, and and people have to understand that the implementation of such a huge, it's a huge undertaking to actually implement this, and it was important. What the Assembly did for the last couple of years was absolutely important because it moved the debate forward, and it made sure that we kept it in focus. People care about how much they pay for health care. People care about making sure that everyone has access to health care. Your wealth should not determine your health. Uh, the, the fact is that there's very few complicated pieces of legislation that start at one, at one place and end in the same place. Uh, there's many, you know, there's, there's a, more than a couple of times when we have been, some people have pointed out to us, certainly in the last couple of months, as we've been engaging a lot of conversations, when I say us, I mean Dick Godfrey and myself. Uh, Dick, who knows more about health care policy than probably anybody in this, everybody in the state. This is Dick Godfrey, my my colleague in the assembly, who was the chair of the health committee over there. Uh, and there's been times in the last couple of months when people have pointed things out to us, technicalities in the bill, that he says, you know what? Thank you for pointing that out to me. And we've made some tweaks and some changes. So I do not believe that this is a step back. The opposite is true. It is a step forward, and we're going to continue to step forward. But but. I am not going to be pushing something that is not implementable, that the governor is not going to sign, and that is not economically or fiscally feasible. Uh, and that's something that both Dick and myself uh, and, and, and many smart advocates across the state agree with. So I am going where there's going to be forward movement in ways, I mean, consider as well that I've had this bill for the last two years, but I have literally never sat in the majority for one second when I've been in the Senate. I had the great honor of being named yesterday as the incoming chair of the Health Committee, but I haven't been a chair of the Health Committee for one second. So guess what? I'm going to have to get in the chairmanship. I'm going to have to get into the bill. I'm going to have to get into the weeds. So no, it is not a step backward. It is, it is many steps forward. You're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI, and if you want to call in with a question for our guest, State Senator Gustavo Rivera of the Bronx, the number is 212-209-2877. Senator, why don't we talk about what this bill is? What is the health care system that, under the existing proposal, the New York Health Act would, would impose for the state? The current, the current system is a patchwork of, of insurance, of different insurance coverages, uh, whether it's people being, being uh, insured by, their, uh, by 
because of the job that they have, so insurance that's available because of their job, people paying for their own insurance out of pocket, uh, people that are... that are, are poor, working class, that can't afford private insurance and are eligible for Medicaid. Uh, so it's a patchwork of different of different insurance coverages. What we want to do is we want to create one system which actually would provide care for every single New Yorker, man, woman, and child, regardless of their immigration status, uh, and have it be paid for by one, by, have it be uh, managed uh, as far as insurance is concerned. Because this is something, this is not government-run insurance. I mean, this is not government-run health care. It is government-run insurance. It is providing an insurance policy that covers everyone. And we want to reduce overall total health care costs. We want to increase spending on actual care rather than administration uh, or insurance company profit. We want to provide full health coverage to any New Yorker. And various studies, both in the liberal and the conservative side have told us that ultimately this is something that would save money over time uh, and would and, and would actually in, in over time generate employment because it would actually put more money in people's pockets and over depending on the study that you believe either over 90 percent or over 95 percent of New Yorkers would pay less under this system that we propose than what they currently do for their health care. So why why do you, what's your sense of why this is something the governor has really uh, kept at arm's length at this point? Well, you know that's something you got to ask him. What I would say is that you know it, it's a, it, anybody anybody particularly something that is as complicated as this. Uh, you know you want to actually get into into the details of it, and I would argue that much like what I've said before, uh, there's there's many folks that haven't engaged with it in a real deep, deep way. So we're going to, in the next coming year, uh, and we've already started doing this, but uh, we're going to take a deep dive with the governor's staff people as well. Uh, and and, and we're, we have to convince them, and I've said this in the past, if you disagree with me on a Wednesday, and on Thursday you get new, you get new information, and on Friday you change your mind, uh, we're going to have a great weekend together. So that's, that's what we want to get to. We want to get to talking with the governor and engaging with him uh, on on what the ultimate bill needs to look like. So let's let's just quickly list the I don't know two three four five uh, aspects of it that are the most challenging or the most controversial. Like what, you know when you're saying you need to take another look at it, and there's things that have come up that you know Assemblymember Gottfried and yourself uh, have looked at, and we've seen things in the news lately. How do you sort of? Uh, put that list together of the of the issues that need to really be dealt with. Well, I think is, what I'll what I'll do is I'm I'm not going to what I'll tell you is that every aspect of it is something is being looked at, but the core of it is this is something that would provide care to everyone, and over time would would cost us less. Uh, it would actually remove administrative costs that are currently taken up by private insurance companies. It would provide us more uh, negotiating room to, for, to negotiate with the drug companies. We would actually be able to negotiate on behalf of 20 million people, so we would get better drug prices. We would actually uh, provide primary care for everyone so that you wouldn't have to go to an emergency room to get primary care. Uh, you would, uh, like many people that are either underinsured or or uninsured, uh, and that would obviously cost us less. We'd be able to identify chronic conditions earlier so that people could uh, could focus on prevention rather than just curing somebody who's sick. Uh, and there's a lot of aspects of it that, that, that people are are asking about 
in the next couple of in the next couple of months as we continue on with a series of hearings that I will hold around the state, we're going to be able to hear directly from individuals and advocates uh, and, and and really get into the nitty gritty of what the concerns are. Uh, but that's ultimately what we want to create. We want to do a system that does all these things. Well, one complaint we have heard and has gotten some ink is the concern by public sector unions that this would undercut the health care deals they have fought so hard for in collective bargaining, um, that the benefits would be not as good as they're enjoying, or that they would have to pay something under this plan because of the uh, proposed employer-employee share. Um, that's a potential problem, obviously, practically and, and probably politically as well. What are you guys doing to try to accommodate that? How can you, how can you kind of carve them into the system without, you know, ruining the kind of simplicity that single payer typically presents? Well, I would say that both Dick and myself, I think it's been it's been clear not just by our words but by our actions over the years. We both care deeply about working class people, and the last thing that we want to do, as as Dick says, uh, my uh, our parents didn't uh, didn't bring us up to screw over working people. So we're we're having conversations with uh, with labor unions across this across sectors. Uh, there and there and there's some that are that are weary, and I get it. Uh, this is this is something that is that would fundamentally change the way that we, as I said earlier, something that fundamentally would change the way that we deliver health care. We're listening to their concerns, and we think that some of them are can be addressed, much like uh, negotiations, uh, like like uh, negotiations that happen for uh, contracts. Uh, you know, I'm not going to do it over the radio. There, uh, I can tell you that there are so much fun, concerns. <laughs> Isn't it? it? And it is so much fun to hear you try to get me to, to get me to to talk about what some of these conversations have been. But but I but the, the core of it, I believe, and and I get it. I get it. We're trying to do something that would fundamentally change the way that this works, and that is something that a lot of people are going to be very weary about and are going to be resistant to, and that's fine. My uh, are the goal, the goal that both Dick and myself have is that we're going to continue to engage in a good faith effort to make sure that everybody understands what the bill is and what it is not. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of misinformation. It's already flying around all over the place, uh, and we're going to continue to talk about factually what the bill is, what we seek to do, and when some Somebody has a real concern, uh, and and when when you see the new version of the bill, because we are going to introduce a new version of the bill in a few weeks, uh, in in January, uh, you're going to be able to see for yourself what some of the changes are going to be, uh, and I don't necessarily want to talk about them right now, but you're going to be able to look at the bill. It will be publicly available, uh, and we will continue this process of listening to concerns and figuring out if it's solvable. Uh, and some of these are more difficult than others, but we are committed to working through them to get a bill that both addresses the concerns that we want to address, is fiscally viable, uh, and would be signed by the governor. So we've got you for maybe another minute and a half here, but um, yep. one of the one of the issues that people have pointed to in the bill is that it doesn't really have a, a clear funding mechanism, um, and and certainly one of the big hesitations that that some critics have had is that there's there would be virtually no way that it wouldn't uh, raise t- you know entail raising taxes. Actually, implementing this wouldn't in- would there's no way it wouldn't entail raising taxes on a good number of people. Now maybe those would be obviously the higher income earners, but that seems to be a non-starter with the governor and, and certainly isn't part of what your new majority has come in saying, you know, is on the table. 
the goal of this bill, and ultimately what we want to do here, is, is we actually want to get people to pay less for their health care. Think about the fact that the health that, that healthcare coverage is already really expensive and sometimes actually leaves you undercovered. Uh, so you are so you might be in, you might have insurance, but if you go out of network, you pay. That's money that's coming out your pocket. If you are if you're insured, but you hit a cap, then all of a sudden you have to get there's out of pocket costs. There's more money that's coming out your pocket. The reality is that the system is already expensive. This is a system that wants to switch how the money, what the money, where the money comes from, and how it is spent. And the is there over, any overall- way that this this uh, system would ever be passed without raising taxes on at least some high-earning New Yorkers? It's unlikely, but it's going to be a graduated assessment based on ability to pay. Mm-hmm. That is something that, that is already part of the language of the bill, which is clearly available and publicly available, and everybody can see it. So part of the funding mechanism is going to be a series of taxation that is, gradu- again, a graduated assessment, so it is based on the ability to pay. And if you take, this is one thing that I want to just say, say very clearly, if you have a, a, a risk pool, right, because the way that insurance works is that you actually have, you share the cost between everybody. If you share the cost among the 20 million New Yorkers, and granted, children don't work, so they're not going to pay into the system. Them, but they're still going to be covered. But if you spread the cost along the entire population of the state of New York, the cost comes down. That's an important thing to understand. And so, if you spread the, the if you spread the cost around, as I, as I said, both conservative and liberal studies have told us that over 90% of New Yorkers would pay less than what they're paying now. It's going to be a difficult uh, difficult transition, but I think that that is something that that nobody can deny. Single-payer systems actually are fiscally responsible. State Senator Gustavo Rivera, the chairman incoming of the Health Committee, the senator for Arthur Avenue and the Bronx Zoo. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> and, many, sure. and many more things. My district it, is not just Arthur Avenue. It is Fordham. It is Kingsbridge Heights, University Heights. You're all more than welcome to Well, come. you lure them in with the big ticket items and you Go take Rams. them elsewhere. Thanks for being on. We'll be right back. You're listening to Max and Murphy on WBAI Radio, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio. We just spoke with State Senator Gustavo Rivera of the Bronx, who is the State Senate sponsor of the New York Health Act, uh, which would bring single-payer health care to New York. Very controversial proposal. Uh, It really has uh, taken off quite a bit in the public discussion over the last year or so, I would say. And now with Democrats taking control of the State Senate, where they will link up with Democrats who have long controlled the state assembly and a Democratic governor. There are many, including Rivera and the assembly sponsor, Assemblymember Dick Gottfried, who are feeling very optimistic about at some point, moving this forward. I think what we heard there was clearly some cautious optimism. And I think, you know, you can quibble with the proposal itself. Some of the statements the senator made, I'm not saying I would, but I'm sure some people might. And I think there's no quibbling with the fact that this is a huge deal. Perhaps the biggest thing New York state government ever did in one fell swoop would be 
to create a a state run, as he said, not a healthcare system, a state run health insurance system. Yes. Um, and so the idea is, you heard a lot of caution there about not wanting to do it overnight, wanting to involve stakeholders, holding some cards close to his vest in terms of what the tax system would look like, what some of these negotiating points with unions and others might be, what the new version of the bill coming out in a few weeks will look like, um, but all because of the size and complexity of the thing they're proposing to do, which, as I said in the article on citylimits.org today, is kind of both the obstacle to and the rationale for doing this. This is a huge, complicated mess. Yes. Not, some, not something you fix overnight. And we're about to bring our next guest on who's going to tell us um, why New York should not move forward with the New York Health Act and a single payer system. But before we do bring that guest on, uh, I'll just say, you know, it was very interesting to hear Senator Rivera talk about having hearings all over the state, introducing a new version of the bill. Um, you know, one thing we didn't get to with him, which, you know, I wish we had and maybe next time is sort of talking a bit about what kind of timeline you would do something like this on. How many years could you phase it in over and, you know, what would that look like? And is there any room around, you know, one thing I wanted to ask him and maybe we'll ask our, our guests here uh, to discuss a little bit, though, is, you know, is there any room for something that's not exactly a single payer system where the government's running insurance, but maybe it's some sort of hodgepodge system that's almost like an Obamacare for New York, where you're really upping the pressure to get everybody covered in some way. And it's not so much that it's a state run thing. But let's bring on that new guest. Uh, we are joined on the phone by Mr. Bill Hammond. He is the Director of Health Policy at the Empire Center for Public Policy. Bill, welcome to WBAI and Max and Murphy. It's a pleasure to be here. Bill, it's great to talk to you. Uh, it's been a while. Hope you're well. Um, I'm fine. Thank you. Yeah, I've been enjoying following your work. It's good to get a chance to talk with you. So we just talked with Senator Gustavo Rivera, who expressed, you know, some pretty cautious optimism uh, about moving forward with the New York Health Act. But, you know, he's very eager, of course, to take over the Health Committee and have Democrats take over control of the state Senate. He promises a new version of the New York Health Act in a few weeks. He promises hearings all over the state and, and more tweaking of the bill and figuring out ways to get others behind it, including the governor. But your perspective, you've been looking at this very closely. Um, you know, give us sort of your broad thoughts at this point about, um, you know, issues that New Yorkers should know about when we're thinking about and talking about the New York Health Act. Well, um, I guess I'll run through, like, um, it's really hard to overstate how disruptive this would be. You're talking about uh, moving every single resident of the state out of the health plan that they're currently in, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, and putting them into a new plan. So there's just a lot of um, logistics with that and a lot of uncertainty for the people who are going through it. Um, you're talking about um, disrupting how we pay for it. Right now we pay for it through a mix of taxes and premiums and other programs. Um, all of that some of that would continue, but the premium part of it would go away. Insurance companies would be basically driven out of business, and there would be these two just enormous taxes. Um, they would raise a combined total of $139 billion or more, um, and they would, uh, which in and of itself is, you know, more than doubling the total tax burden of the state. Um, 
And then finally, you're disrupting how we pay healthcare providers. Right now, they they know what Medicaid pays them. They know what Medicare pays them. They know what the private insurers pay them. They don't. They're not necessarily happy with what they're getting paid, but they know how it works. Um, Nobody can tell you what the rates would look like under this new system. It's not spelled out in the law. Um, inevitably, there's going to be uh, a redistribution of resources if you go to single payer because it can't pay as much as private insurance does and be affordable. And yet it has to pay more than Medicaid and Medicare does in order to keep healthcare providers open with the lights on. Um, so, so those are those just absolutely gigantic disruptions of our healthcare system, which everybody depends on for for their for their medical needs, and also it employs probably about a fifth of the state. It's just an enormous system. So, so, not, so go ahead, Bill. Let's take a step back from the program to the premise. The idea behind the act is that there is a problem in healthcare in New York, and this act is an effort to, to solve it. What do you think about the first part of that statement? Is there a problem with healthcare in New York? Yeah, and I actually, uh, your article today uh, made a really good point about how complex and fragmented and frustrating and inefficient the system is. Um, and that that, as you said, it, that in itself is an obstacle to reforming it because you have to address all these different pieces of the system. Um, the point I would like to make about that, though, is that single-payer in and of itself doesn't fix most of those problems. Single-payer, if you really boil it down, just means you have a new method of paying for the existing system. Um, so it would... Uh, I will acknowledge it will reduce some of the administrative paperwork, the red tape that everybody hates, because instead of having a gazillion um, health plans, there would just be one, uh, at least in theory, if, if, if this bill happens the way its sponsors would like it to happen. But let's look at what it... Uh, uh, you, you could also imagine that because this system has so much bargaining power, it could get lower drug costs. It could go to the drug companies and negotiate lower costs. So, so there's another possible benefit. But you're not integrating care any better than it's already integrated. In, you know, just on the face of it, single payer just means paying the same providers to do what they're already doing. Um, hospitals wouldn't necessarily talk to doctors and doctors wouldn't necessarily talk to nursing homes and nursing homes wouldn't necessarily talk to clinics and clinics wouldn't necessarily talk to pharmacies. It would still be, it would still be that part of it. Would, unless, unless the system tackles those issues, which the bill does not specify. Um, you wouldn't take the profit motive out of the system. You would take the profit motive out of the insurance part of the system, but all of the hospitals and doctors and nursing homes would still have an incentive to deliver the maximum amount of care while keeping their own expenses as low as possible. That's just how any institution works. You wouldn't be controlling waste in the system. Um, in fact, you might actually increase the incentive for people to do extra tests 
um, unnecessary tests and unnecessary procedures because it would generate revenue and there would be no there would be no um, the, the insurance companies who deny claims on the basis that it's a wasteful procedure would be out of the picture so it would kind of depend on uh, some branch of the health department or whatever whoever's running this new health plan um, they would have to step in and they would suddenly be deciding what they considered wasteful and what they don't consider wasteful. Talk a little bit. Um, so, so I guess what I'm saying is I don't see like, it, it's not going to solve everything that we don't like about healthcare. It'll solve a few things and the rest will still be there needing solutions. I'm glad you, I'm glad you, A, gave us that list, but also made that final point because that's actually where I was going is it almost sounds like your argument is that this is, this is very misguided energy. Uh, it, it won't necessarily solve the major problems facing the New York health uh, care system. Um, so if you had your druthers, can you name what a, couple of the top things that you think people like Senator Rivera and Assemblymember Gottfried and the governor should take on in terms of uh, health policy in New York? You know, where should their focus be? Uh, well, um, I think that universal coverage is the right goal. Um, I think uh, one way of getting to that is, well, first of all, there's already programs a lot of the people who are currently uninsured already qualify for existing programs that the state offers. So they, they already qualify for Medicaid or the essential plan, or they qualify for tax credits through the Affordable Care Act. For whatever reason, they haven't signed up. Um, there may be, it may be um, that they're just not mentally capable of signing up, or they're too confused, or they're put off by the politics of it. Um, and, and I guess I would point out that even a, even a single-payer system would still have a certain amount of that problem of people, you know, regardless of how the eligibility, just don't bother to sign up. Um, so the state could, I, I think the state should really study why people haven't signed up for those programs and figure out what they need to do differently to, uh, to address that. Another big thing that I think the state should do is that it should try to be more supportive of the private system that we have. And, and by supportive, I mean it needs to get out of the way to some extent. It, uh, it's, a, it's a common occurrence for the state legislature to pass coverage mandates dictating benefits that health insurance companies have to cover. Every time they do that, they make it more expensive to provide health insurance and premiums go up. Uh, another thing they do is they have just enormous taxes that collect billions of dollars that come straight out of the premium dollar that you're paying. They're hidden taxes. Um, most people don't realize they're paying them. They're the third largest tax the state collects. They drive up the cost of health insurance. Um, I think the state needs to find a way to roll those back. Um, so those, that's, a, that's a couple of things I would suggest. 
Bill, talk about some of the risks that have been identified to the assumptions around the Health Act. You know, the RAND Corporation came out this summer with a, an estimate of what the impact would be, found that there would be, you know, some um, modest, in terms of percentage terms, anyway, modest savings over the first 10 years given some assumptions. But it all hinges, at least according to RAND, and I think in some of your writing as well, on a few things kind of going the right way. Uh, talk about some of those and identify some of those risks to the, the plan as it as it is proposed now? Well, the theory of single payer is that it would take the place of programs like Medicaid and Medicare, which are enormous programs. Medicaid covers a third of the state's population. Medicare, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it's also a very large enrollment, uh, mostly elderly people. And those programs are uh, either totally or partly funded by the federal government, Um, So the state can't just take over those programs without permission from the feds. Um, The theory is that, you know, once this bill is passed, the state would go to Washington and say, hey, we'd like you to cooperate with us in making the single-payer system work. Give us a waiver. Um, The Trump administration has already said it's not interested in doing waivers like that for single-payer. So at least as long as this administration is in office, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, there's some question whether whether Congress and whoever takes over, whoever the next administration is, there's some question whether they would be interested in doing it. It's, it's, it's a controversial thing. So I don't think the state can count on getting those waivers. And if that's the case, the single-payer system would have to kind of work around Medicare, work around Medicaid. And so the, the structure of Medicaid and Medicare would still be there. And then there'd be this added structure that wraps around the existing structure. That adds complexity. It probably drives up costs. It reduces the state's ability to, to you know, to cut paperwork and red tape. Um, so that's that's one big obstacle. Rand just took for granted that those waivers would be granted because um, its purpose was to study how the bill would, what the bill would cost, and so it just sort of assumed that the bill would work as its authors intended. Um, another big obstacle is is what's called self-insured um, health plans. These are, this is the majority of large employers technically don't buy insurance. They they put some money in a reserve fund and they are the insurer. And that's about half, about half the people insured through work in the state are in these self-insured company plans. That's correct. It's, it's probably millions of people. Um, they, the people often don't realize that they're in a self-insured plan. They often have a card in their pocket that says Aetna or United Health or Oxford or whatever. Those companies are just processing the claims. Technically, their insurer is their employer. And under federal law, the state's not allowed to regulate or interfere with a self-insured health plan. And so it's not clear that the state could compel those those plans and the millions of people they represent to participate in single payer. So yet again, you would have um, a, a, a hole in their in their vision of one uniform plan covering everybody. So those, those are uh, 
those are just kind of on the face of it, like those are distinct possibilities that we won't get a waiver and that the courts will say the, 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 the plan violates the rights of these self-insured plans. And the state could try to proceed with, you know, with those obstacles, but it, it would be much more difficult and probably more expensive. So I think we want to come back to uh, some of the discussion around the Health Act, but I, I, I just have to ask while you're getting at some of the aspects of this question, do you foresee a situation where instead of moving towards a single payer route, there's something more aggressive the governor decides to get behind in terms of uh, some New York system that almost you know mandates uh, everybody have health insurance, but not necessarily a state-run health insurance program. So some sort of you know Obamacare esque program, uh, you know, f- for the state or Romney Care type of program for the state. Or am I am I wrong in thinking that that might be somewhere where this heads, where the governor tries to sort of head this off, but figure out a way to improve uh, coverage? I think there is a lot of. Um, anticipation that, you know, after people look at single-payer and assuming they decide it's impractical, what's their fallback plan? And they're looking there. I think there's a certain expectation that the governor will want to have a plan like that in his pocket, you know, uh, early next year so that he can say, look, we're doing something about the uninsured. We're doing something to make our health system better and easier for people to deal with, easier for people to afford. Um, and there are any number of directions that could go. Some would be uh, more constructive than others. Uh, but it is, I mean, it's something, you've seen New Jersey do that, for example. They they do. They did enact um, a mandate to have insurance. They did get waivers from the federal government to do to do these financial arrangements that help to lower premiums that made insurance more affordable which is a good thing in and of itself that probably encourages more enrollment which is also a good thing um, so there are very constructive things that in, incremental things that the state could do to move closer to um, universal coverage and just improve the experience of healthcare. Bill, we have just uh, a few uh, seconds left, about a minute, but if you could talk briefly, what do you think about the the dust-up with the public sector unions? Is that is that a deal killer for the bill politically or, or practically? Do you think they'll work that out? Well, the, um, the unions in question are, are represent city employees. City employees, most of them currently don't pay anything for the health insurance. Under the single-payer system, they would owe at least some payroll tax. Um, and so from, from their point of view, it would be a loss, right? It would be a, a setback. Um, the, the response so far from Godfrey and Rivera has been, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put a thing in the bill that says the city can't—the uh, city has to continue funding your benefits the way it has been funding them, meaning— they would have no contribution. Well, to me, that's creating, it's not single payer anymore. That's, you know, one plan for uh, municipal employees and another plan for people who aren't fortunate enough to be on the city payroll. Um, So it 
doesn't necessarily affect the overall um, economics of the single-payer plan because it's just a question of whether employees or, or their employer pay. But I think it's, it's kind of emblematic of a process you're going to see where different interest groups are going to pop up and say, hey, this, this single-payer plan screws us in this particular way. And depending on how much clout that group has, the authors will try to figure out a way to make them whole, to protect them for the effects of single-payer. And that could get to be an expensive process, and it also probably means um, more special treatment for, for influential groups. Bill Hammond is a veteran journalist, formerly of the New York Sun, Daily Gazette, Post Star, and most well-known part of the Daily News. He is now the Director of Health Policy at the Empire Center. Bill, thanks very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks, Bill. Take care. We're back for a few final thoughts here on Max and Murphy. And Ben, we just finished listening to Bill Hammond talking about, uh, from a critical perspective, the New York Health Act. And to his last point about this issue of the unions and creating some sort of a, a unique payment structure for them, I asked Dick Gottfried about that very question, whether creating a different arrangement for unions would break up the universality and and kind of equanimity that's part of the plan. What he says is, look, it's a plan for universal, for single-payer uh, coverage. The important thing for equality's sake is the coverage. There are going to be a lot of different payment arrangements. Different companies will have different ways of breaking up that 80-20 share. Not everyone's going to pay the same regardless of uh, of whether this union issue comes into it or not. And so that's, that's his retort to that. But obviously, Bill pointed to many of the other questions about the, uh, the way the plan would operate and, and then some of the, the risks to um, its operation with the federal government, private companies, federal courts potentially being involved. Right. And this goes back to what I brought up earlier about timeline and, you know, questions around exactly how they're going to structure this and what the new version of the bill is going to look like. And then it'll be further, uh, certainly further adapted once there are these hearings that Rivera is promising. And of course, the governor might come in and figure out a way, as sort of we were discussing a little bit, to sort of change the game as, as he's known to do and sort of figure out how he wants to put his imprint on an issue. I mean, this this question around the labor unions gets at a much larger issue as well in terms of where we're heading here with full democratic control of state government. Is it going to be the case that the big allies of Democrats start to get all sorts of special favors and get to influence legislation more than they should. Uh, I'm not enough of an expert on the New York Health Act or healthcare policy to know how much they should or shouldn't, but it raises a very important sort of political and policy question for the new year in Albany that you have one party control. And it raises also the question of whether progressives will have to decide at some point in 2019 whether to cut their losses and go for some of these incremental approaches to kind of fill the gap between what current coverage is and what universal would look like and whether doing so would pave the way to single payer down the road or whether it would undercut the case for it. So some difficult strategic choices, I think, for advocates on that. Next week, we'll be talking with Comptroller Scott Stringer about housing and also about state budget. Obviously, the template on which a lot of these ideas for 2019 will be played out. Um, we have been uh, talking to you about healthcare today, and there's more on GothamGazette.com and CityLimits.org about that. Until next week, I'm Jarrett Murphy. 
joined with Ben Max. This has been Max and Murphy on WBAI, listener-sponsored, non-commercial radio, coming to you from Brooklyn. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.